Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. All right, welcome back to Stoke the Fire. As always, my brother, uh, Matt Stocks, joining me. How you doing, Matt? Top of the world, my friend. Top of the world. Uh, thank you to everybody for the continued love and support and encouragement. Um, it's unlike anything I've ever done or been involved with this show. I imagine being in a band, you get a lot of this all the time, but this is special, and it feels like what we're doing on this show is different to, I don't want to say all of the podcasts, but certainly I feel like it's different to most. It's deeper than most. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, as as much as I do get, you know, a good feeling and feedback from music, it is different. This There's a depth to this that, uh, you know, being able to connect with people one-on-one that is very different from, from music and performance. It's, you know, like a long extended meet and greet without the pretense. And I, I love it. I'm learning a lot from it. I, as I know, we've talked about this. It's really changed my perspective, given me some purpose and Heard some incredible stories from not only just our guests, but from listeners as well who've written in uh, to our, our Stoke the Fire email, which is stokethefirepod at gmail.com. And uh, Matt goes through a lot of that. I got to get better at uh, checking those messages. But um, Matt There's really. So many as well. That, I mean, it it's, it's a full time job keeping up with them, but do keep them coming. And not just like the stories, but some people just reach out to just say, like, hey, I'm from, you know, we got one from Chile. I think the other day, yeah, somebody yeah. saying how much they love the show down from, you know, South America. And yeah, it's just lovely hearing from you. So whatever you want to share, you know, whether it is your story or it's just some thoughts on an episode we've done, please do reach out and we do get back to everybody eventually. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So continuing on this uh, great trajectory we've been on, we've had a lot of listeners on to tell their stories and to relate to them as well. So this episode is no different. We have uh, another listener uh, joining us today. Matt, you want to take it away? Yeah, Eddie, Eddie Therese, why don't you switch on your camera, pull up a chair, come sit by the fire with us, and we'll save all the, the details of your super interesting life for the show. What's up, dude? Welcome to Stoke the Fire. What's up, fellas? Can you hear me? Yeah, oh, loud yeah. and clear, all mate. Right. I love the headset. Looks like you're going uh, into war. <laughs> I'm a professional, professional A40s. You know, these are the, the Twitch streaming headsets that everybody gets. So do you, well. do you do a lot of that? Are you a streamer? No, no, I don't. <laughs> My wife does, though. That's part of her uh, job, her career. And um, she works for a video game company and they right. do live streams. So she hooked it up with these. But yeah, you, do, you do host a podcast, right? I do. I do. I host the uh, RRBG podcast. I've had uh, good brother Jesse here on before, which was funny because I was looking at I, I rewatched that episode and I remember telling you at like near the end, I'm like, you should have your own podcast and boom, there, there it is. <laughs> Little did we know. That's funny. Yeah. I remember the last time we talked, I believe it was backstage in, uh, was it Arizona or Vegas? I don't remember. 
it's been a while, man. It's been definitely been a while, been a while and a lot has transpired since then. And, uh, you know, even just reading the message you sent to us, it just, you know, there's definitely some stuff to unpack with you, brother. It's deep. <laughs> That's interesting stuff I didn't know. So good stuff, man. Nice to continue this uh, conversation we've been having and, and go deep this time. For sure. It's a, it's a conversation we've been having for years, man. And, and, you know, it's always in little bits and pieces that behind, you know, backstage at shows or we run into each other at, at a show at another show, somebody else's show. Like it's uh, it, we don't really have time. It's not something that I like to do either. It's, you know, the reason I reached out and I wanted to do this with you guys is because I, I love what you're doing. I love the idea of, you know, sitting by the fire and talking. And uh, I found it as a challenge for myself because I don't like talking about myself. You know, it's such a crazy, you know, past. And I don't want to, when on my show specifically, like, I don't like to bring myself up. It's about the guest, right? You know, it's not about me. Nobody wants to hear about me. So, uh, you know, I really, I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to just come on here and, and shoot the breeze with you yeah man well why don't we start you mentioned you grew up in like a you know an org was it an organized crime family or just a family with a lot of crime going on um well my my grandfather and my father were both involved in organized crime but not they weren't like mafia leaders or anything like that they weren't like part of any they were they would interact with multiple different organizations so uh, the predominantly the the italians in in new jersey was the the main uh the main one but i just i remember growing up and and thinking this was just normal life you know like as a kid i was like this is this is what we have to do to make money you know uh seeing my grandfather who you know outside of business was always the sweetheart and, and you know eh, my son my grandson hey you know and, and very caring but then you know once i started developing consciousness and like being aware of what's going on. I'm like, Oh, there's some stuff going on here that I'm not totally sure is the way normal people live their life. <laughs> uh, but what, what would have been some of your first, you know, inclinations that what was going on with your family was different to everybody else's and perhaps wasn't strictly legal. Um, just, I, I think it was one time my father came home, um, with a stab wound <laughs> and oh, i was yeah. like hey are you are you all right and he's like oh yeah i he made up some ridiculous story of like oh i got out of the car and i slipped and i hit my leg with the side of the door and i'm like that's a stab wound though <laughs> that's not a bruise that's not a little scrape like you got stabbed and you know I, we would have constant like my, my grandfather and my dad would take me to like meet some of these people and um it, one of the things I, I that was the first time I noticed that there was a problem. One of the gentlemen, uh, one of the Italian gentlemen, was like, "You know, if you have any trouble, you come see me, and we'll take care of it." I'm like, "How old are you at that point, Eddie?" I was like, 10, wow, 11. Okay. Uh, and then my my father would put me to work, and I remember thinking, "This is not probably not something that my friends are doing." And I'd be in a in a basement somewhere uh, cleaning. He would, we would get lighter fluid and uh, he, we would soak these medicine bottles with lighter fluid and then I would remove stickers off of them. And I, I, as a kid, I was like, I don't know what, what's going on, but he just wants me to do this and I'm, I want to be with my dad, so why not? And uh, you know, we would just sit there for hours removing these labels. And later I come to find out that what he was doing was uh, paying, paying uh, gang members to rob pharmacies and then he was reselling that medicine back to the pharmacy. 
Wow. <laughs> so that was like his major, like that was just one of the things he was doing, but that was like his major moneymaker was, was organizing that. And uh, just me in a basement, you know, inhaling toxic fumes of lighter fluid and whatnot, just removing labels. And it was pretty intense. It was pretty intense a lot of time. So what so you mentioned in your um, in your um, email that uh, you had to be relocated. So when did it start to get bad? When did you see that, uh, you know, this lifestyle was catching up potentially with what your dad was doing? Yeah, I mean, we were moving every year. It was pretty intense. Like we would it wasn't like state moves. We were moving from town to town in New Jersey, uh, you know, from Northburg and to Weehawken to Hoboken to. And we were just going around. And I always just thought maybe it was because my family was poor. Because they're all from, they're all, you know, immigrants from Cuba. And uh, my grandfather's from Spain. And uh, I just thought that was just part of the deal, being immigrants. Uh, but it was part of the deal from being in organized crime. So, um, do you have brothers or sisters, dude? Or are you any an child? Uh, I do have a brother and a sister, but they are from different uh, father. And it, it was like after all of this craziness. Like okay. it was. Uh, yeah, it was, they're they're half siblings, um, but the the day that I that became a real problem was when we moved from New Jersey to Miami. It was when my father got arrested when he got caught. Finally, um, we were out to dinner. I remember at this point my family had my parents had uh, divorced, and uh, which was that was another traumatic event that kind of, you know, as I'm getting older now in my late thirties, I'm realizing that that really damaged a lot of my psyche. Like, I, you know, as a kid, I didn't really think much of it, but now it's like, oh, well, there was a lot of violent encounters. Like my parents would fight, like fist fight and blood. And my mom would throw stuff off the balcony and smash it into his car, that, you know, that kind of violence. And uh, one day, you know, we, they finally split up and we would take, you know, I would take turns staying with them. I would either go to my dad's house and, and that's where my drinking problem started because <laughs> I would go to his house and he had a bar and I would just drink. Um, it's not really a problem. I'm not in a, I don't have, I don't think I have a drinking problem, but, um, but anyway, the, one when, of the nights we what were. What age did you start boozing? 13, 14, I think it was. Uh, that, I think it was 13 when uh, I would stay with him and, and, and break into his booze stash. And on top of that, you know, even before that, I think it wasn't like I started boozing, but when I was like eight years old, he would host these underground domino games and uh, all the gangsters would come out to this domino game and he would pay me money to come out and bring them beers. I would bring them Heineken's and uh, I would just you're, like, and you're little, eight. I'm eight years old, like with a little tray with beers and these dudes would just give me a hundred dollar bill, you know, as a tip just because, you know, whatever. And I, I do remember at one point, my father's like, you want to try this beer? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I, I hated it. It was just one of the reasons I, I it took me a long time to get into beer. Uh, and, but I did like uh, liquor because it was sweeter. If, and, you know, you could mix it with soda or whatever. It just tasted sweeter than beer. But anyway, um, one of those nights that I was staying with my dad, he, he, uh, he, we went out to dinner and he got arrested. Like, there was dudes came in. It was the FBI. It wasn't even police. Wow. And, you know, the arrest him, took him away. I got, you know, I had to call my mom and she picked me up. And then uh, once that happened, my whole family just kind of like, we have to get out of here. We have to go to Miami. We have to, we have to leave New Jersey because it was, it was a matter of time before they caught my grandfather. You know what I mean? Because he was the, the, the main honcho. He's passed away now, so I can talk about all this and I feel comfortable about it. But 
um, he was the main guy. And then once my dad got arrested, he, my grandfather was like, we're all leaving right now. And he bought this mansion and not a mansion, but like a seven bedroom house in Miami. And the entire family just moved in together to this house to kind of flee. So that, that's when it became a real, like, that was, that was the last big move we had from that situation. And then the family ended up going back to New Jersey a couple of years after that, but I decided to stay. I was already 18 and I had a girlfriend, I had a band, I had like, had a life. And I was like, you know what, guys, go. I want out of the business. Yeah, I can't do this anymore. Um, so yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty much it. How was that met, that news that you were done with the, the family business? Were you made to feel, yeah. go on. No, no, yeah, yeah. They definitely didn't, they were not happy with that. Um, my grandfather disowned me because I had a mohawk and you're, you're officially a degenerate now. Like you're not part of the family because you want to, you don't want to be a part of it. You want to be on your own and you got these, you know, you got a mohawk and you got a tattoo and uh, they, they all left and they just, I mean, that's how it was met. They all left me there. That's the other thing. Like, if you think about it, if, if they really wanted me to go, I would have been forced to go, but they were just like, nah, all right. Bye. Stay then. And that was, that was, I think on, at the end of the day, I think honestly, that's the, the best move I could have done is just leave because if I would have stayed, I, my life would have been, I mean, as it is, it took many, many years for me to become a normal functioning member of society after all that. Yeah. yeah inevitably you'd probably be pulled into the family business full time. That's usually how that works. Yeah. yeah. As much as, uh, you know, and I, I grew up around the periphery of, of, of a mob lifestyle as well. Thankfully, in my immediate family, it wasn't there. But uh, in my extended family, I saw some of that as well. And, you know, I saw another side to it. I saw some glamorous stuff as well. Uh, thankfully, I was protected from it. But, yeah, I can only imagine, you know, especially being a young man, like how that shapes you and how that uh, affects the way you see the world and you know, a life of crime versus a quote unquote normal life. Sometimes that, that making that adjustment is hard because you get pulled into like, oh, I can make money easy doing this particular thing, whatever. So how do you think that shaped the way that, uh, you know, moving forward in your life, the way you saw the world? Well, dude, I mean, I, I ended up, you know, getting arrested. I, that was my, I, I didn't know any better. You know, there's all their, like, obviously there's intricacies to everything that happened in those formative years. Like, moments like when my parents were arguing and getting a divorce like my mom stole his safe and then like she made me break into the safe as we were driving to the beach she was like here's the safe open it up and i'm in the back seat with a crowbar trying to crank open this the safe and i'm like this is my life and um but you know after all that when i stayed in miami uh i got a job working at a at a store and it was a retail store i'm not gonna say the name but it was a retail store and uh I ended up making my way up to like sort of management. It was like, you're not really a manager, but you got a key to the place and you can, you got to handle inventory and that kind of thing. And when they handed me the keys and the inventory, something clicked in my brain where I was like, oh, I can make money off of this. Something huh. like that, that, that crime Imme took immediately, over. just straight yeah. away. Yeah. The second they gave me the key, I'm like, oh, uh, and then I started establishing, like I became kind of like a a mobster in the, cause it was part of a, this store was in a mall and I started forming deals with people. Like I'm going to go to the cell phone shop. Like, Hey man, come to my store, whatever you want and anything you need. I got you. 
and then they we would do trades like they bring me brand new cell phones i'm like all right go ahead do you know do whatever you need to do i'll 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 adjust the inventory i'll turn off the cameras blah 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 you know and uh eventually i ended up letting someone into what i was doing one of my coworkers that i trusted I was like, yeah, man, you know, I'm doing this. If you want to do it, you know, just run it by me because I know how I'm doing it. And he ended up messing up and they ended up figuring it out and bringing in secret shoppers and uh, catching everything on camera. And, <laughs> you know, eventually I walk in one day to work and my boss is just like freaking out. And I go to the back and there's police officers with a TV set up with footage of me doing stuff. And they're like, what's going on there? And I'm like, I don't know. That's not me. You know, like my initial, like my family kind of like training kind of took over with like, yeah, no, that's not me. I don't know who that is. And, uh, and then, it, you know, they were like, it's obviously you. So we're just going to do this. And I got arrested. And that, that's the, that was the beginning of the downfall because even though everything beforehand was kind of shitty, uh, <laughs> this, this was the beginning of like my life going to shit completely. Were you represented or supported by the family when you get arrested, or are you on your own at that stage? I'm on my own completely. I, I called my mother, told her what happened, and uh, it got the money to bail me out, but that was pretty much it. At the time, my, my girlfriend that I had, she was the one that had to pick me up and, and you know take care of me after that. Uh, and you know, little by little, things just started getting worse, and that's when I started... Uh, learning about karma, learning about how that, you know, all of this stuff that I'm doing is bad and everything that I grew up with is bad. And I need to fix this because it's not gonna, not gonna get any better. And instead of actually fixing it, I actually took a turn and went the wrong way and started abusing drugs. And, you know, there, there, there was a lot that happened, uh, shortly after that, that kind of taught me hard lessons of karma. Did you go to jail? Did you serve time? Uh, I, I didn't serve a lot. I was there for about two days. Right. And, uh, and then they bailed me out. And it, it was not great, you know, because I, I, in my mind, I'm just a kid. Like, I was just, I'm, I'm not doing anything bad. I'm, in my, I kept justifying it. Like, I'm, I'm stealing from a corporation. Like, this is nothing. You know, like, I'm not stealing from people. You know, the, the, why am I in here with this guy? Who, I, one of the gentlemen that I was in, in the cell with, you know, uh, was just... I had a, he was like, oh, I had a party and I was taking a shower and the cops came in and, and, and took me away. And then I started like digging to see what more details. And, you know, he was selling drugs to minors and then like having sex parties with minors. I'm like, that's not me. I'm not doing that. Like, <laughs> please don't put me in here with him. So that, that was definitely uh, the, the beginning of, of trying, like realizing like, oh man, I'm, I'm messing up real bad, you know? So when did drugs come into play shortly thereafter? And then um, I guess what was your sort of gateway into the drug world, into I'm assuming escaping or numbing whatever was going on in your mind? And how did that transition happen? So um, it, it started in, you know, obviously with the drinking and whatnot, but uh, weed was kind of my first thing I smoked, uh, weed in high school and, and whatnot. But shortly, um, shortly after... So there's a little kind of a segue that that leads to that. It's, it's that uh, once my father got out of prison, uh, he he was gone for about eight years, and when he came out, I I reached out and I was like, hey, I, I'd love to reconnect with you because over the last eight years, my mother has been kind of poisoning me against you, 
just telling me all these horror stories about you and how you're the worst person ever. So I'd like to get to know you and as an adult and, and see your side of the story. So I moved in with him and, and where he was, you know, he had a house, he was under house arrest. He had the little beeper on his ankle and everything. So I moved in with him and spent some time with him, just trying to get to know him. We started developing a business together. He was doing like tr truck transportation. So I was helping him out with that. And something happened where he met a girl and she convinced him that I was, I was poisoning him against her. And I wasn't at all. I didn't even care. I was like, yeah, man, get you some. But she was kind of having this jealousy in her head, thinking that I was like a spy for my mother or something. And she convinced him that I was this, this like spy or I was poisoning and he kicked me out. He kicked me out to the street. And I didn't have anything at that point now. Like I had given up everything I had. I had already been arrested. I had a, I had a, a car accident, which, you know, I wasn't, I was dead during this car accident. All of this stuff had happened. So I had nothing. And when he kicked me out, I became homeless and I went straight to Miami beach because I was like, whatever, I could just kind of chill on the beach maybe and figure something out. Maybe I'll get a job. And that's when I met some people and they were just like, oh, come hang out with us. And like, hey, man, we're doing a little bit of Coke. And I'm like, I've never done Coke. And they're like, All right. Yeah, sure. Let's try it. And I tried Coke and then Coke became speed and speed became LSD and, and meth and whatever you can get your hands on at that point. Because I was like, I don't have what am I doing? I have nothing else. And it was, you know, uh, every night. It wasn't just maybe once a week. It was every night something, MDMA, some ecstasy, whatever, party. Because the way I saw it was I was continuing to have shelter. Like I was, if I can stay with these people and party with them and like, oh, we'll go to this party and go to that party. And, oh, we're going to crash in this guy's house for a little bit. We'll just chill on the couch and just kind of do, do that until eventually I, I ended up ODing on Coke and I woke up in the hospital like – I didn't know what had happened. I just I woke up and I'm like, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. You we found you. You apparently had an OD of uh, cocaine, and I'm like, really? Because I was in my mind, I'm like, I'm not doing that much. It was just every day. <laughs> so just uh, casually, all the time, just casual, you know, just <laughs> casual cocaine usage. Um, How old are you at this point, dude? Just to keep the time frame. Yeah, uh, 20s, right. 21, 22, 23, around that time period. Oh. And, and you're essentially homeless at this point, right? It sounds like if you're just looking for places to stay, you didn't really have a home, correct? Yeah, completely homeless. Uh, there were nights where I woke up, you know, I woke up once at a Dunkin' Donuts. And I, I woke up and just kind of looked around and I saw that I was surrounded by like four or five other homeless people. And they looked homeless. That was one thing, like while I was homeless, I tried to maintain the appearance of normal being a normal person like i was i would take showers in like walgreens back you know the the tour life like the you know shower in the sink and yep. <laughs> get some baby wipes and you know i tried to stay clean but when i woke up at that dunkin donuts and i saw that i was surrounded by dudes covered in mud and like piss and just you know bad uh it was really kind of a shocking like oh my god what was happening what is happening with me like i i gotta do something and uh that's when music saved my life. I, I found uh, a band and they, they kind of dragged me out of that lifestyle. And, you know, I moved in with the band and, and started doing music and gave me purpose, I guess. So when you overdosed, was that your last, you, were you done with it or were you still having issues with it? Well, I was done with cocaine. Hmm. Um, 
I, I, I stopped doing like super heavy drugs, but, um, shortly after that, that's when I discovered psychedelics and I, and I also started digging into my spirituality aspect of, of, cause throughout all of the stuff that was happening, there was a lot of supernatural stuff that happened as well. My mother was a, a, a Santera, uh, which is voodoo, I guess from Cuba. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that was a whole other traumatizing experience of just seeing really weird things around the house, like live chickens, you know, being killed and they rub the, the heart on you, on your face and like all kinds of crazy. Like I brought a, I brought a friend over once when I was a little kid and the second I opened the door, I'm, I'm telling this kid like, Hey, come on in. We got, I got this Nintendo game. We're going to go play this Nintendo game. And I opened the door. My mom opens the door with blowing cigar smoke and hitting me with a palm frond, just kind of like <laughs> smacking me. And I'm like, what's happening? And then she just spits this like water at me. I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm just cleansing you. And my friend just ran away. Like, this, you know, <laughs> I want nothing to do with this. Goodbye. Uh, but, it, you know, once I started kind of questioning the nature of my existence because of all the stuff that's had been happening and, and, and all of the supernatural was, was things. Was Catholicism looming large from the Italian side of the family as well? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So I was, uh, I was go up until seventh grade. I was in private school as well, and uh, which is you know right before we we fled from New Jersey. But you know I had a lot of of it, it was rough. Like they would hit us with rulers. Like it was you know very intense. I couldn't listen to any kind of music. Uh, the 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 most exciting music I was listening to was the Bee Gees. You know, like, it was it was crazy, but I got kicked out of that school um, because I I, end, I they thought I was possessed. They I, I had an incident where they asked a question about something, and I I kind of just burst into this maniacal laughter, and I couldn't stop laughing. Um, I was on the floor, like literally holding myself, laughing and crying, and they were like, "Oh, he's possessed," and they called my mother, and they they you know they kicked me out. They suggested an exorcism. She never did it, thankfully. But it was kind of, uh, it was interesting for her to, for them to just be like, yeah, no, we're, we give up on you. You're done. You're, you're possessed by the demon. Like, we can't fix you. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because God is love, right? <laughs> Rejection. Yeah, I can, God. I, I can relate. I, I did the private school up until seventh grade myself. I didn't get kicked out because I was a good little doobie, but um, <laughs> definitely indoctrinated and definitely, uh, you know, raised in a very religious house. So you mentioned psychedelics and then that segued you into talking about existence. Can you talk about that relationship with the psychedelics in the spiritual world? Like when did that sort of start to manifest itself in your, in your brain and you're wanting to seek the deeper things and question your existence? Yeah. Um, so around like the age, age of 12, I had my first, what I've learned to be, you know, what I learned later that it was my first uh, OBE, my first out-of-body experience. And it was kind of uh, just, it felt like a dream, but it felt real and, and very lucid and I could smell and taste and touch things. But I was kind of, it was obviously very surreal. I was in a situation where I found this flower in my front, my front lawn and the, the, uh, every time I touched the flower, it would change colors and it would affect the world around me. So I, I touched it and it turned red and a volcano came out of the ground and so I, I knew it wasn't like reality. It was something else. Uh, so that was the first time I had something crazy like that happen. And then when I had my, my car accident, which was very, uh, you know, as a res- scientifically, medically, I was dead. So I, I do remember seeing something while I was 
out. And, and that thing that I saw, I ended up discovering was uh, the, the Seed of Life from Sacred Geometry. Uh, I, the first thing I did, actually, when I got back from the accident was get that tattooed on my arm because I was like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what it is, but I don't want to forget it. And I got it tattooed. And then later I discovered it was the, the seed of life and, and I discovered about, you know, sacred geometry and all that. And, and then as I started experimenting with mushrooms and LSD, all that world kind of started flourishing where I'm like, okay, well, there's something else going on. There's multiple layers to this. It's not just existing here physically. There's also different existences in parallel dimensions. There's... Uh, I started having OBEs more regularly, more frequently, sorry. Um, <clears throat> I went and took a trip to Peru and to, to Machu Picchu, to the, the, the ruins out there. That's one of my top three places I want to go. Is it amazing? Oh so it's a good journey. Um, I went in with the this mentality of like, I'm going to go and I'm going to immediately get blown away right? Like that, I thought, like, I'm going to go there and it's going to change my entire life. I'm going to learn everything about spirituality. And I didn't. And it, at the moment when I finally reached the ruins, it was kind of disappointing. Like, I, I, I sat up there and I was kind of like, this place is empty. All of the spirits that were here are gone. Like now it's tourists. There's just tourists everywhere. Um, but over the years, reflecting back on that journey, I realized that it wasn't about getting there and finding that holy grail. It was the developing kind of persistence and this kind of drive to, to better myself. It's a journey. The fact that I was able to make it, you know, through the Inca trail for three days and, and, and survive that entire journey with little to no resources. I, I, I kind of didn't do any research. I didn't bring enough equipment. I didn't bring enough money. I ended up, there was a point during that journey where uh, on the, I think it was like the third day of the hike, we were at a, a peak where it was snowing and I, I, I kind of, my body gave out. We had no food, no water. So I was just kind of sitting there up against the wall of the, of the mountain and the, the, the trail itself is only like three, four feet. And I remember just looking over the edge. And I'm like, if I fall, it's over. And but I don't have it. I can't move my legs anymore. So we just kind of, it was me and, and my buddy that was doing it with me. We just kind of sat back and gave up. I was like, I'm just going to take a nap and uh, maybe I'll wake up. Maybe I don't. Maybe, maybe this is part of the journey. Who knows? And uh, I ended up falling asleep and getting woken up by uh, these French hikers. And they kind of just, oh, hey, come on, get up. Get up. And they started giving us bread and cheese and water and kind of like, got us back up but you know this trail you see dead bodies you see bones laying around and like I, I had just surrendered to that and i was like well this is it this is where i go um so i think all of that just kind of helped build me up to 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 kind of help me grow past my my past self you know this this criminal kind of homeless you know drug addict kind of thing out of that into a normal a kind of you know flourishing human being it's amazing dude amazing <sighs> amazing stuff what when you when you had the car accident and you said you're like technically dead 
something changes in you when you go through something like that, doesn't it? Um, what, what changed in you after that experience? Was that when the heightened awareness of a bigger picture came into play? I guess you truly realized the fragility and the, the beauty of life as well. Um, what was the sort of your immediate thought processes going um, forward from that moment on? Yeah, I, it was it was interesting. I, I definitely the first I, I knew I knew that what I saw what I was under was important. I don't know what it was. I didn't have it wasn't like I didn't immediately say, oh, that's God or that's the source or that's, you know, the universe. It was just something I saw. And uh, I, I started it became an obsession to kind of figure out what that was and to figure out what else uh, I had seen that maybe I couldn't remember because I was knocked out. Um, but, Do you think that might have been a message to you? Is that how you take it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that was the initial message from the universe or whatever to to get my shit together and to kind of discover my purpose in life and what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, because what I had been doing up to that point was not working. Like that accident happened like right after my arrest. Like after I got out of the arrest, that accident happened. It was just kind of the timing was too much, you know. And uh, after that accident is when I went to Peru to figure out. I met I met some really great people out there. Some 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 interesting. Like I have some books that uh, were given to me from Freemasons. That you know we've heard many stories of these occult Freemasons that study the nature of the universe. So I was kind of like, all right, let me, let me look into that. I met a few of them. They gave me some books. They actually wanted me to join, but uh, I just, I couldn't commit to something like that, the, the lifestyle that they had. Um, but that accident, seeing that image in my head and knowing that I was dead and I was disconnected from my body consciously and made it back, just kind of made me, it became a, an obsession. And that's why psychedelics became a, a thing because I just like, I need to find out more. And, the, and, and these psychedelics are kind of opening these doors for me. It's making me understand that there's so much more that we're not aware of physically. So you, yeah. you found that experimenting with them, using them helped you gain a deeper appreciation and understanding of the human condition, human existence, yeah. all that stuff. For sure. Yeah. It helped me understand. Uh, I, I started the way I started explaining it to people is that while we're here talking to each other and in person with each other or like, uh, you know, uh, the concept of the show, sitting around a fire talking, that is a radio station, the way I see it. Like we're listening to 106.5, whatever it may be. And we are able to change that radio station uh, subconsciously or with our consciousness, which is what how I explain dreams. You know, once you're having these very lucid, very vivid dreams, it's basically you changing the radio station and not actually, you know, if you get a, a, an old school analog radio and you're kind of like, let's say you're trying to get to 106.5 at about 106.3, you're going to start hearing 106.5 is just going to have static and kind of blurry. Uh, that's how I see dreams. Like we're not there. I'm not at the station, but I'm getting, I'm like on my way to that station. And I think we can get to that station if we focus with, you know, meditation and, and breathing techniques and all kinds of other, uh, taking care of your body, making sure you're clean and healthy and mm. uh, using your yourself to, to, to get to that point. Yeah. And I think psychedelic cool analogy, right? Yeah. That's a great, it's a great analogy. Um, yeah. I love that the station being sort of tuned in. I can, I could hear it as you were saying it too. <laughs> yeah, I find that interesting too about psychedelics in my own life is, is it really does sort of peel back the layers and remind you of, 
you know, how profound life really is. And oftentimes, you know, the profundity of it is really simple, isn't it? It's simple and profound. And I think that often gets overlooked in people's everyday life. We tend to overanalyze all these things. And, uh, you know, I like that you mentioned clean living and meditation. That's also very important. But, you know, for anyone who hasn't tried psychedelics, they can be used as a tool for spirituality, a tool to, and, you, you know, there, I know some people have just done it once and they're like, wow, that's good. I, I saw what I saw and I'm good and it changed them. Some people continue to, to seek, you know, um, and I think that that's important to note. It, you know, psychedelics don't have to be, you don't have to go down this journey and continue to do them. Sometimes it's just that one time and you tune in. But I totally believe in the power of that. And uh, it's changed my life too, you know, the, deeper than anything because it's it's your own personal journey, right? Like I, I think that that opens the eye of perception or your third eye as they call it, your pineal gland. And when that gets tapped into you kind of can't go back from that point, right? It just, everything has flipped on you and you see the world through different eyes. And I, I love that about psychedelics and about having that mindset, you know, pushing forward and coming out of your past life, seeking for that new one, you know? Yeah, there's, there's it's a little bit of a struggle too with uh, with other people. Like, I one of the challenges I discovered after after all this time uh, is is being able to, connect with other human beings and and kind of be empathetic of of their situation and and not try to not come off douchey you know what i mean because a lot of a lot of yogi kind of like meditation guys they come off douchey because you just there's an element of it that makes you feel better than like you're like oh i graduated i now know my purpose in life and anything you say isn't going to change me like that that kind of mentality is uh, is a struggle because I don't. It, it can I don't come like across come across as condescending, can't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and I I love uh, that you said it's like a tool. It's it's it is. I think psychedelics can be a very good tool, of, like a crutch, to get you. You know, if you break your leg and you still need to get somewhere, you use a crutch. It's kind of the same idea. You can get there. You can get yeah. to to discovering the true nature of existence on your own using breathing techniques and meditation, like you said, clean eating and all that. Uh, but this is like a it's like a helpful tool and you see it throughout history and religions and, and you look at like old pictures of drawings of, of egyptians they all had tools the ankh of life to me the ankh of life represents that tool that mm -hmm. leads you to spirituality uh catholics and, and christians and all that they have their own they have the you know the cross the book the bible that you know all the different tools that they use to to engage in their religion same with santeria they have their you know the chicken egg and the the little cup with the I don't even know what that is. They have a cup with water and like a little cube inside. So they 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 have everyone has their own tools and crutches that helps them achieve some kind of spirituality. And I think psychedelics can be that for people that don't have a religion, people that are just kind of exploring and trying to figure out what life is. Well, I mean, our ancestors. You mentioned the Egyptians. The Egyptians had uh, the psychedelic flower in their artwork and their and you know, psychedelics have been used since the dawn of, of humankind, and it's something that gets buried. And, you know, there's a lot to be gained to keep us, you know, unenlightened and sort of dull. You know, we're easier to control. But, you know, if you really look back, all of our ancestors, doesn't matter where you come from, in one way, shape or form, psychedelics do come into play. You've got medicine men, you know, you've got shamans, 
uh, tribal leaders, you know, um, certain monks talk about having an experience. And like you mentioned, meditation, you can do it through meditation as well. But, you know, I think that that's just an important part of, of the journey of a person. You choose, you choose, you make decisions and then you follow the path. And I think people who go through trauma and go through hard times, I feel like psychedelics are a way to bridge the gap, you know, of your pain and your scars and your suffering. And you find the meaning of, you know, maybe the reason why you think you may have suffered. I think finding the meaning behind your life and, and what you've uh, struggled through, when you find understanding of like, I had to go through this for my perception to change. And with me in my life, I've found that through um, psychedelics and meditation, understanding why I went through the shit that I went through to make me who I am today and to potentially help others down that same path. So we've been talking about your life and talking about finding your purpose. Do you feel like you are still discovering your purpose? Where are you at these days with your life? Uh, I'm definitely happier and more fulfilled than I've ever been. And and I, it, it's a lot to do with trying to live a good life, you know, um, trying to take those moments where that I mentioned earlier when I got the keys to the place and I immediately switched to, how can I turn this into business? I've tried to manipulate that into a positive way so that I can live a, a I know that it, it's very punk rock to think, I don't, you know, I don't have to live by the rules. Like, I don't want to live by the rules. Like, you have to kind of adhere to certain rules in order to have a normal life or also just end up homeless and, and drug addict again. Like, that's how I see it. Mm. So I have to kind of not break the law so I don't end up in jail. So when I, when I get these situations presented to me, that thing still happens in my brain. It goes off. But I try and see how I can make it positive. And how can I, how can I make money so I can have a living, but in a positive way that's going to positively affect other people and have a positive impact in my own life. And right now, I definitely feel I'm still looking. Obviously, I think if you, if you feel completely at, at peace with yourself in terms of I think I'm done, like I've done everything or whatever. I, it doesn't feel right. Like to me that you should always have hunger to learn more, to be better. It, it be always, you can always be better. So I always, I still feel that I'm still trying to be better and still trying to grow and be a, a, a find my goal. But with the journey of, of the podcast that I've had, meeting all these people and listening to their stories as well and sharing and connecting, uh, I'm pretty happy that at this point in my life because I have always been a big fan of just communicating with people. It's always been like my forte is just like, hey, let's hang out, let's socialize, let's talk, let's have a party. Like I have always enjoyed that. So I feel like I'm fulfilling a major part of my life now using the podcast. Um, I, I do feel that there's more to grow from that as well. But Tell, also, tell our listeners the name of your podcast just so you can reference Oh, the podcast is the RRBG podcast. Um, I've had, like I said, Jesse on. I've, you know, I've been honored to have some incredible musical legends, like people from Motorhead and Nine Inch Nails, and uh, and on top, I've kind of been branching out because I don't want it to just be music. I'm talking to actors and comedians and artists and authors. And I had my first politician on not too long ago, which I I don't like politics, but he's he's one politician that's actually fighting for the legalization of psychedelics. So I was like, yeah, let's talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I've, I've also one, one other aspect of my life that 
that was affected by the drugs and the homelessness and and being in a band and all that was me and my uh, romantic life. And I used to meet tons of women and, and it was never healthy. It wasn't a healthy relationship. Uh, I would have other relationships with people that were just abusive or whatever. And now I've, you know, I'm married and I've never been happier. So that's, that's good. So I feel I'm doing, I'm doing something right in that area. Uh, I'm doing something right with the podcast. I just, you know, there's always room to grow, but I feel that I've achieved a lot of the things I've set my mind to. Uh, and, and what's important to take from that message is like, I'm not trying to just show off like, Oh, look at me. I'm, I'm great. Like, you know, like all of that shit that I had to crawl through broken glass and fire to, to get to like, you can do it. Like, mm. you know, it's not a lot of people that can say like, Oh, I died. <laughs> I, I was gone. I, I had a, I was arrested. I, you know, I've came back from homelessness and, and drug abuse to have a normal life to where I have my own place with my wife. And, you know, I have a, the job that I wanted and I'm, I'm pursuing a career that I want to pursue. Like a lot of times I get like, even my own family, my little sister hits me up sometimes. She's like, life sucks. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but you can fix it. Get to work. Like, it's not going to fix itself, you know? What's really cool for me, the main take I got from what you just said, is that that thing in your brain never goes away. So there's no easy cure. There's no easy solution. It's not like you're just fixed. You know, the work is continuing and will always continue, but you can if you have the right tools and, and, and you want to put in the time, you can change that feeling into something positive, as you say. That's the most inspiring thing for me, um, that, you know, those things that we go through completely, they, they don't hold us back or, like, completely box us in, but they do define us, and it's, it's up to us, isn't it, as to how we put it to use. Um, and that's killer, man. And do you have contact with either of your parents? Do you have any kind of a relationship with your mum or your dad? I do, and I struggle with uh, I struggle with being hateful because it's kind of you know I I see like my father for example you know I I try and stay in touch with him we we communicate over like WhatsApp and Telegram and whatever because he lives out in Mexico now he had to flee the country because he's not allowed back in um, <laughs> so uh, he's out there living his dream and I kind of you know every once in a while I message him like you all right are you alive how's your health you know I just want to check in. But I struggle with this in my head of like, I don't even, why should I care? He didn't care. He kicked me to the curb because he thought I was a spy, you know, like, uh, and then my mother in the same, in the same vein, like I stay in touch with her every once in a while, but she's relentless. Like she's got mental illness that, that I can't help, you know? And I, every time I I, I've gone to her to, to help her, it's, it's a refusal. It's like, you're a kid. You don't know anything. Leave me alone. I'm just like, no, you've got problems like you've you're what's the word i'm looking for when you lie consistent like a compulsive liar compulsive yeah she's a compulsive liar and she has these delusions in her head of these like fan like she still thinks my dad and her are gonna end up together i'm like you've been divorced for 20 something years so um but you know a lot of her choices led to me having a difficult time growing up as well so i, I have that resentment in my head of like whatever like i i you know which is draining, isn't it? It's exhausting uh, carrying around that blame and mm. resentment, as you say. Like it's about you know not forgetting, but forgiving is a very hard thing to do, isn't it? But with when you're able to do it, I think you do find a greater inner peace. Mm -hmm. And yeah, because yeah, it's I like, mean, there's there's 
Yeah, go ahead. No, no you go. I was going to say, yeah, I, I hear you because I've, you know, whenever I do reach out and talk to her, I feel relief. It's not tension, you know. Whenever I, when I'm not talking to her and she's messaging me with her madness, like I get stressed out. I'm just like, oh my god, like just leave me alone. And then when I finally kind of like take a moment, like let me talk to her, let me give her a call. That moment in time ends up being peaceful, you know, until until the until the next batch of of crazy hits. <laughs> it's well, that's it. Sometimes forgiveness is, uh, you know, sometimes it's for yourself as well, because you know, holding on to anger you know, it manifests itself physically inside you and it, it's a toxic, I mean, le legitimately a, like a toxicity to the body. So, you know, finding forgiveness for somebody who's, um, you know, in your past, it, a lot of the times it's for your inner peace and, you know, it's it, you call it selfish if you will, but you know, you kind of have to get to that point where in order for you to move forward, you have to reconcile with the past and you have to find a place to put your feet down to take that next step forward. And I think that's great. It's nice to hear that you're you're on that path. And I got to ask you, um, talking about like purpose and, and moving forward, I feel like as we get older, right, we go through all these things in our lives and then we have these awakenings, these moments. And I feel like as we get older, that's when you start to turn around and you see that you've got to give people a bit of your journey, give people a bit of your wisdom that you've earned, you know, through through life and you turn around, you help other people. Do you feel like with your podcast and, and where you're sort of your trajectory now is, you know, telling your story could potentially empower other people. And you kind of hinted at it earlier. Like if I've gotten through this, you can get through this because there are people that have it worse than you and people who probably don't have it as bad as you did. So to me in my life and what I've got through this podcast and working with Matt is like, I feel like a really deeper sense of fulfillment and purpose because I'm able to take my experiences and the experience of other people like yourself and share that story. And there's real power in that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely one of the things that appealed to me most about podcasting in general. It's what got me into watching other people's podcasts is being able to hear their stories. And um, like I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I try not to bring myself up too much in my podcast because I want to talk about the guest, but but yeah, absolutely, you know, dropping in little anecdotes to kind of like, hey, I sympathize or I empathize, I get you, and, you know, I had a similar experience. That's a conversation that we are lacking in society. You know, if you, everything that's kind of going on now when you see what's happening in the world, it's more division and less conversations. It's more, I'm right, you're wrong, back and forth. And yeah, instead you're of blocked. Having I don't want to talk to you anymore out of my right. life yeah, yeah yeah i'm blocking you oh you you voted for this guy bye like that's not a conversation man like I, I i get tons of people hit me up too with you know why are you still friends with him like because we're friends because we've been able to have conversations and i don't agree with what he's saying but you know he's nice to me we have conversations i understand him or her well, that's what we say all the, all the time on this podcast is we have more in common than we do differences and if you really go down to brass tacks of us as humans our connection there, there's so much more connectivity than there is division. We just get the division heightened through social media, through mainstream media. And that's totally what we're going through right now and to a peak level. And it's frustrating, but it's also, it empowers you, I would hope, you know, as it has for me to like try to push more unity and try to push more discussion and commonality between all of us. Yeah. And I, and I gotta, I gotta give you props, man. Cause ever since I discovered your music, I, I, uh, the message within the lyrics was very positive and very, Hey, I've struggled. 
but you know there's a journey here and and that was my initial attraction to to the band Killswitch. like that was just the this perseverance and this kind of like you've been struggling but together we can you know fix this problem and you know when you started the podcast immediately i was like yes perfect this is exactly what i wanted this is what you know what people need more people need to be doing that um i don't think there's an oversaturation issue because you hear that too a lot like oh everybody's got a podcast like yeah but that's good you know you you can filter out the ones you, you find boring or you don't want to listen to but it's good that there's more of this happening, more conversations. And while social media is kind of being a problem and hurting people with, with dopamine hits and whatnot, and, and all this in, uh, flood of information and, and, and over-sensing, uh, overloading your senses, um, it also is a very powerful tool because you mm -hmm. can do this. Like we have this conversation now. Yeah, totally. I love it, man. Dude, you're a kindred spirit. You're one of us. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you. And I appreciate you letting me come on here and talk. It's like I said, I don't really ever talk much about it. And, and it, as I'm getting older, I'm, this is therapy. Because I, I, that's another thing like, psychedelics kind of did to me was I feel that I can't go to a therapist. I feel that they're not going to help. And I know that that's kind of childish probably, you know. Um, but I feel that I, ha I have an understanding of how my brain works. Like I know why I'm stressed and why I'm anxious and why I'm depressed. It's because of all of this stuff that I grew up with and, and psychedelic psychedelics helped me figure that out. You know, mushrooms can be like therapy. So, uh, I, I always struggle with that. Like when I'm anxious and like, should I go talk to somebody? Should I have a therapist? Like everybody in Hollywood has a therapist. So why not? Uh, but have I, you ever I, tried it? I've never, I, I've tried it when I was a kid, when my parents first got divorced, I got kind of forced into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but as maybe, an adult, maybe I've just worth it. trying, man. I think anything like that, that's positive and can only have, you know, either no outcome or a positive, it's definitely worth a try. And if yeah. it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it does, you might open a whole other side to yourself and then you've got, you know, your experience and everything that you've learned, the wisdom you gain from the psychedelic stuff, then that added to it, you know, you'd be an unstoppable force, dude. <laughs> and the podcasting thing as well, man. Like, I'm on the same page with you there. This is my therapy. You know, every session we do on this show, I do on my show, it all feeds into, like, working through my shit in real time. Yeah. Yeah, I think the important thing for people to, that are watching this is just there is – life is very, very difficult, but there is a way out of it. And, and these conversations, uh, talking to each other and communicating is the best way to do it, I think. Yeah, we have a lot to learn from each other, really. I mean, the, the more conversations I have with people, as Matt was saying, the more I learn about myself as well as other people's experiences. And it does give you a bit of, um, you know, uh, a courage to, to push forward when you hear somebody's story. You know, we've heard some extraordinary stories um, on this podcast, including, you know, yours. It's, it's great to be able to take all that and sort of gather it in amongst your own experience and compare and contrast. And I'm nothing but motivated. And when I get off of these conversations, it may take me a few hours or days to, to really sort of, you know, let it all register, but I'm always leaving with a sense of, of like, wow, I need more of that. This is, this is the stuff of life, isn't it? And we talk about you know, there's a reason why this podcast is called Stoke the Fire. And you mentioned at the top of this, like gathering around that fire, that sense of community that you get. And to me, that's, I've found my home here. I've found my home with music and lyrics. I've always tried to inspire and, and pull people out of themselves in that live music environment. 
but to get one-on-one or two-on-one and get really personal i feel like i've gained so much wisdom because of that so you sharing your story people we've had on it just all continues to help me grow as a human and thankfully in time continue you know that purpose-filled life of helping others to see that they have strength within themselves to continue to change their own lives yeah man. yeah one one question i wanted to ask you because since you've explored psychedelics and and whatnot and what are your where are you right now with uh facing death because i feel sometimes i struggle uh when talking to other people like oh they're panicking about the, the pandemic and whatnot I, I kind of, I panicked a little bit, but at, at the end of the day, since I've kind of felt like I've been there and I know what's coming after we pass, uh, uh, I don't have that fear and I have a hard time empathizing with, or trying to explain that to people. Like they don't, you shouldn't fear death because no. there's more to it. Um, where are you in that part? Of I, uh, yeah, I've always sort of held a strong, um, hope for death just being a doorway. You know, I was raised to, to believe in heaven and hell uh and i've since i think um have decided to sort of uh grow past that you know and and number one realize that none of us have the 100 percent truth or answer none of us know truly what happens but through my use of psychedelics and through my use of meditation and and just discovering things through reading and through moving through the the world as an open mind um, and deprogramming myself from from organized religion, I've always carried a. Um, how do I word this? I, I to me fear fearing death is not it's not even an option in my mind anymore. And and you know during this whole past year or so, I, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm just being very honest because it's something I really haven't said much at all. Not once did I panic. Not once did I feel fear when it came to me in my mortality. Um, I'm ready to die. I've lived an incredible life. I've ac- accomplished more goals than I ever set out to do. But also, I, I don't think death is the end. I don't. I believe it with all of my heart. And again, that's a belief. Nobody knows. But I, I carry that feeling in the gut of my soul that this is just, this is just a chapter and many chapters to come. And I think if I do harbor any sort of fear of death, it's losing loved ones and how to deal with that loss. Cause I've got people, I don't know what I would do without them. Uh, and I think sometimes in my life I've pressed forward to live more because of other people, not wanting them to feel pain. Um, but I can honestly say without a shadow of a doubt, if I were to die after this podcast, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. And I don't fear it. And I don't say that to brag. I just, that's truly how I feel. How about you, Matt? I nearly died too. And I'm sure Jesse and I will do a podcast around that because that's a whole other conversation. But I broke my back and <laughs> fell on some train tracks. And yeah, I nearly died eight years ago now. Um, and ever since then, I've just felt like I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, like that. that's really where I'm at. Like there was a time when I was so depressed, I wanted to take myself out. But it was the, the harm that that would cause my family that that stopped me from doing it. But now I'm in a really great place and I just, I want to be here for as long as possible because I'm really enjoying life. But I have, in the same breath as what Jesse said there, I have zero fear for my safety in any situation. And that's not reckless. That's not like, look at me, I'm a hard man. I've got no fear. Like, I'm just not afraid to die because I have an unshakable belief that 
there's a whole other existence and another one after that and another one after that. I believe it's just one ongoing trip. Um, and so, yeah, there's no fear for, for me either. Um, as I said, I'm just not ready yet, which is great. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I'm not ready either. I got a whole, <laughs> a whole bunch of living to do if I can, for sure. But, you know, we'll see what happens in life. Right, my man? <laughs> for sure, man. I mean, I, I, I've, I've struggled with this too. Sometimes I get up in the morning. I'm like, man, I'm so old. I'm turning 40 and, you know, I, I, I've lived so long. And then I realize, I'm like, if I stay healthy, uh, I've got realistically another 35, 40 years to live. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of a daunting thought. Like, oh, my God, that's everything I've done so far. But again, like, <laughs> like another 30, 40 years is insane. So there is a lot of life to live. There, my, you know, and and I'm, I believe in that theory of every certain amount of years, you become a new person. Uh, I don't recognize myself at all from old videos, old pictures of, of that time period when I was, you know, criminal mentality. Yeah. I don't recognize myself at all. So I, I think that even seven years from now, I'm going to be a different person. And it's kind of exciting to look forward to that. Hell yeah. 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 yeah if, if you're paying attention, if you're actively involved in the process of evolution and maturing and growing, then yeah. I mean, I, I would, even if I met like the guy who I was, last year i'd be like who's this dude do you know what i mean like the the last year especially i feel like i've you know become five different people in that time um and that's not out of like me being a chameleon or insincere or do you know in fluctuating it's just when life gets intense your growth you you have to catch up don't you with the pace of it and so you start evolving at a quicker rate and i do find yeah because i've been doing podcasts now for coming up on five years when you have hour long or more sometimes in-depth insanely engaging conversations like this on a regular basis you know your mind is moving and developing at a very fast rate that's the same as if you read a lot of books if you travel a lot all this experience is going into your brain and it's just growing and you know it's absorbing all of this new information and perspective and wisdom and everything and you just you know you're, you're like a shapeshifter if if you want to be if you're actively engaged in that approach to life um Absolutely. And podcasting is just the best thing that's ever happened to me. Like anybody out there, if they enjoy conversation and they want to learn more about themselves and, you know, their relationship with the world around them, I just say get a mic, get an idea and get to work because doing my show and by extension this show has changed my life forever for the better. Um, podcasting rules. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's that idea of when I tell people that have spent their entire lives living in one town – They've never traveled anywhere. Same thing, yeah. It's kind of the same idea. Like you need to have conversations with other people so you can get perspective on your own life. Yeah. Right, right, and not and and not having all the answers is okay. And the I feel like having these conversations continues to help you, you know, gain perspective and humility. Really, I've I've learned a lot. I've I've learned a lot of humility through doing this podcast and. Yeah, I, I would say that it's changed my life forever as well. And, you know, it's like with anything, when you practice it, you get better at it. And I think the way that I'm getting better at doing this type of thing is becoming a better listener, which has been huge, not just with this as, you know, sort of a career, but in my personal life, being a lot more compassionate and present to moments, you know, where that's a big thing I think we have in, in society as a problem is being present, not worrying about picking up your phone every two seconds really being in the moment and listening and taking people in. And, you know, when you do that, something happens to your brain. You know, I think that listening 
is such a underrated thing. Uh, humanity needs a lot more of that because when you listen, you find more compassion, you find more um, tolerance for people and humility. And it's been quite a trip. So I look for it. Let's, let's, um, you mentioned it a long time ago and I, I'm terrible at keeping up with stuff, but yeah, have me back on your podcast. Let's, let's revisit this. Cause it's been a long time since we've had that talk. Well, how long ago was that even? I don't even remember, man. Uh, that was one of the first, you know, that that's one of the things I got to be appreciative of, of the podcast as well as just the, uh, the, uh, the level of guests that I had in the very beginning. I mean, my first episode was Adam D and then you wow, came along. <laughs> uh, well, we were talking, yeah. actually, I'm going to do a little shameless plug. It was because of this. It was because oh, of there our, we go. There it was we about go. the kill switch beer. So he, is it, that he unopened? Was, this is unopened. Wow. Probably tastes awful, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that was the birth of the podcast was me meeting Adam at the brewery and like re approaching him like, hey, I love your music. And he's like, I love your beer. And like, let's make a beer. And then once that beer was made, I'm like, maybe I should we should talk about it and like start a podcast. And it was just Adam, myself and the brewer talking about it. And it just kind of exploded from there. But you and I, I think, yeah, it was within the first year. So it had to have been three, three years ago or so since we last talked how has that journey been since starting the podcast it's been so insane man it's an insane like my life has purpose like i like we've said like i feel that sharing this to the world it's giving me something to to, to give the world uh aside from the music i've done which you know it's a small band you know a shout out to dissever you know amazing 10 years in my life with those guys but uh this has a bigger purpose and and being able to meet some of the people that i admire uh make new friends and 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 listen to them like it, it's really changed everything in my life it's become my whole life now to the point where in the mornings i'm writing notes and i'm trying to come up with new ideas for the show and i'm like oh you know maybe if i start a different show maybe i'll start a show with my wife you know like it kind of just starts expanding and it's been a, tre a tremendous journey and, and getting better at it like you said the more you do it the better you get at it because I'll, I'll listen to that first episode with adam was awful for me i, I had no idea what i was doing you gotta start somewhere <laughs> man you gotta start somewhere <laughs> exactly yeah but yeah it's been a tremendous tremendous experience um and i think it is the future of entertainment and in, 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 as more and more people get into it not that it isn't already this big thing you look at joe rogan's podcast is the biggest thing in the world to the pack to the point where it's affecting you know politics and whatnot so uh it it has a tremendous amount of power that 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 you need to be in control of and uh not let it overcome because there's also that troll mentality a lot of people uh in this world are doing where just trolling each other trying to click baity like let's have a podcast but it's just i'm just trying to pull things out of you like you know tell me more hot juicy takes and it's like that's not what it's about that's 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 uh tmz like have a conversation with someone and and listen to them for sure we'll link up the instagram handle to your show in the show description for this um dude thank you so much uh it's i mean just as i said earlier on the idea of these things that we go through never really leave us but it's just turning it into something positive to hear from you know where you started to where you are now is an insanely inspiring story man so thank you for coming on and sharing it Thank you for letting me do it. Thank you for bringing me on. Uh, there's a lot more. There's so much. There's so much more. We can have five podcasts about the little intricacies of how much more damage was done in the beginning and how much better my life is now. But ultimately, that is the the thing. Like, you're never gonna get rid of that. So just 
work around it and turn it into the positive uh if you have that now some people don't have that but if you may, have may it, i make a suggestion to you um sure. if you're willing to do this perhaps you have a podcast your own podcast where you do open up about that have you done that before have you had a show where you, you don't have a guest it's just you talking i challenge you to do that go ahead <laughs> do it if you got more to say take take notes like you're saying take the notes put it out tell your All story right. on your own podcast why not yeah, You're the boss. Ahead. Just a suggestion. <laughs> no, I, I'll take it. I'll take it. I trust your judgment, so I'll try and do it for sure. But thank you so much, man, for letting me come on and talk to you guys. And obviously, it's it's a tremendous honor to, to even have this time. So I appreciate it. And Matt, I also want to have you on the show. So, you know, we'll do two episodes. I'll do one with Jesse and one with you, man. We'd love to, mate. We'd love to. We've got each other's emails. So, yeah, let's yeah. make that happen. For sure. For sure. Eddie, love and respect, my friend. Thank you so Cheers. much. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Man. Fire stoked. Whoop, whoop, whoop. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns